hello and welcome to another episode of The Lives and Styles of Old Hollywood. Today I want to talk about the Siegfeld Follies. The Siegfeld Follies were one of the most influential cultural phenomena in the early 20th century and they had a major impact on the emergence of Hollywood and how it would come to be. Old Hollywood would have not been what we know today if it hadn't been for the Siegfeld Follies. And whenever you talk about the Siegfeld Follies, you need to talk about Florence Siegfeld Jr., Anna Held, and Billy Burke, because they're all wrapped together in a nice little package. So let's start with the question, who was Florence Siegfeld Jr.? So Florence Edward Siegfeld Jr. was born on March 21 in 1867 in Chicago, Illinois. He was the son of a Belgian mother who, interestingly, was connected through family to the French government and the French prime minister that previously served under and supported Napoleon. His father was of German descent and his grandfather was the mayor of German city Jever, which is very famous for its beer. So Florence Siegfeld Sr. was head of the Chicago Musical College, which was part of the Chicago College of Performing Arts and thus Roosevelt University. And Florence Siegfeld Jr., who we are mainly talking about today, worked in his department during high school. When he reached 18 years of age, he got promoted to assistant manager. Nevertheless, being surrounded by classical music and everything the arts had to offer, he was fascinated by vaudeville and the so-called low entertainment. Later, Junior and Senior opened the Trocadero, which was a nightclub. It was opened during the 1893 World Fair in Chicago. Siegfeld Jr. was aged 26 then, and he helped his father run the club and he promoted the acts. And quite quickly, he progressed from promoting shows to producing shows. And that was with the financial backing from none other than Diamond Jim Brady, who was a well-known investor and entrepreneur back then. When Florence Siegfeld Jr. went to Europe in 1896 to scout new talent for his shows like Strongman or like Freaks, He met actress and performer Anna Held in London, and she played a huge part in what would become the Siegfeld Follies. So, who was Anna Held? Anna Held was born in 1872 in Warsaw, Poland, to Jewish parents of German and French descent, respectively. They had to leave Poland because of the pogroms in 1881, and they fled to Paris, France. As money was really tight in the family, Anna started to contribute to the finances, working in the garment industry and later as a singer in Jewish theaters, first in Paris and later in London. She became very popular, and that was because of her very vivacious personality, her flirty appearance, the risque songs she performed, and for her willingness to show her legs, which was very scandalous back then. And we remember Thea Berra, who showed an ankle in one of her early movies, and that made her already quite the vamp and, you know, the dangerous woman. <laughs> At age 22, Anna Held married an Uruguayan playboy by the name of Maximo Carrera, And she stayed married to him for a couple of years and even had a daughter one year into the marriage who was named Leanne Carrera. This child would go on to become an actress and producer as well and was sometimes billed as Anna Held Jr. In 1896, when Anna Held was 24 years old and two years into her marriage with a one-year-old kid, she toured Europe. And she happened to be in London when Florence Siegfeld Jr. was there. 
and Siegfeld was immediately infatuated with Anna Held, both professionally and personally, and he asked her to come with him to New York and perform there, which she did. And that's exactly when Siegfeld Jr.'s talent for promotion and marketing came to shine, even before they arrived in America. We have to remember that is the time when people used boats and ships to go from Europe to America. So it took like about two weeks or three weeks to cross the ocean. So he had a lot of time to spread rumors. So he did and he made up stories. And Anna Held was the focus of the press even before she arrived. So the most prevalent story that was circulating back then was that Anna Held had had her ribs surgically removed to have a smaller waist. So when Anna finally arrived in New York and performed, the public streamed to the theater and they loved her because she was fascinating and they already had made up this picture of her in their minds. Although the critics were not as favorable about her performance. So over the next years, Siegfeld's work started changing. Anna Held, who had lived and worked in Europe and especially in Paris, was very well acquainted with the Folie Bergère and she influenced Siegfeld to try something similar in America. So Siegfeld Jr. started to incorporate things that would later be the hallmarks of his production style. For example, beautiful chorus girls and variety musical numbers. In 1907, Siegfeld finally opened The Follies, a revue that pretty much did what the Folie Bergère did in Paris, but now on Broadway in New York. And they continued to be on stage for the upcoming 24 years until 1931. But what set them apart from what had happened on the stages before they arrived? So the Siegfeld Follies were an extravaganza. They were expensive, they were lavish, they were glamorous. All the performers wore outrageous costumes. The sets were detailed and huge and elaborate and every dancer was chosen by Siegfeld himself. And all of them were absolutely and incredibly beautiful. And most of the time, some nudity, some legs were involved. So it was very risky and it was just like all wrapped into one big bow of glamour. The great thing about the dancers was they all danced in synchronization. And that became one of the trademark signs of both the Siegfeld Follies and later the musical comedies of Hollywood. Hundreds of dancers all in line, all synchronous. It looked just so impressive. The music for the dancers was composed by the greatest composers of the time. Among them was Irving Berlin and George Gershwin. So these girls dancing half-naked in those glamorous costumes to the best music show business could offer, and they would be known as the Siegfeld Follies. And this exact engagement to the Siegfeld Follies would be a springboard for some of the greatest stars of old Hollywood. So if you have listened to my previous episode, you might remember that some of them were Siegfeld Follies. To mind come Louise Brooks and Marion Davis, but also Myrna Loy, Barbara Stanwyck, Paulette Goddard, Joan Blondell, Nita Naldi, Mae Murray, Lillian Tashman, or Dolores Costello. So many names, many later stars would start out as dancers in the glamorous production that was the Siegfeld Follies. But to be clear, there were many stars who had not been Siegfeld girls, like Norma Shearer, Joan Crawford, Gypsy Lee Rose, Lucille Ball, Eleanor Powell, Ruby Keeler, and Hedda Hopper. 
They all had been declined engagement with the Siegfeld Follies, so they had not been Siegfeld girls, and they were not deemed appropriate for the show. So, after 20 years on Broadway with his show, Siegfeld Jr. opened his namesake theatre in 1927, the Siegfeld Theatre, which was holding a total of 1,600 people. And it was built with the help of the greatest architects and designers of that time. And of course, that was very expensive. So Siegfeld has to ask William Randolph Hearst, which we have heard about a little bit in the past. And he asked Hearst for some financial help and borrowed money from him. The theatre opened with a production of Rhea Rita, which ran for almost 500 performances. And the following show, which was called Showboat, ran even longer for 527 performances. This was one of the most successful Broadway shows and it got revived four times on Broadway and won multiple awards. In 1932, Siegfeld even started the Siegfeld Follies of the Air, a radio show that lasted until his death later that very year. But five years into the Siegfeld Follies, Anna Held served Florence Siegfeld with the divorce paper of their common law marriage in 1912, and they finalized the divorce one year later. The reason? Well, it was Siegfeld's affair with Siegfeld girl Lillian Lorraine. Siegfeld had discovered that then 15-year-old Lillian in 1907 had built her up to be one of the top performers of the Siegfeld Follies and even put her in an apartment in the same building that Siegfeld shared a flat with Held. So no wonder that Held asked for a divorce. But only one year later... Siegfeld married actress Billy Burke after having met on New Year's Eve. So, who is Billy Burke? Billy Burke had been a performer for most of her life, touring the US with her father, who was a singer and a clown who worked for the Barnum and Bailey Circus. And finally, the family settled in London, Europe. And it was there that Billy started acting in 1903 at the age of 19. After several shows that she did there and where she starred in, she went back to the US to act on Broadway. She had several different performance engagements, met Florence Siegfeld Jr. at a New Year's Eve party and married him. They had a baby girl in 1916 and lived in New York on an estate that Burke herself had bought in 1910 and had renamed Berkeley Crest and also in Palm Beach, Florida. Despite being a wife and mother, Burke went on with her career. She succeeded in the silent movies as well and became one of the highest paid actresses of that time. She was among the most cherished performers on screen, along with Mary Pickford and Lillian Gish. As a special endorsement, her early movies were also tacked with the byline by a special arrangement with Florence Siegfeld. I guess this is what you can call an early form of brand collaboration in Hollywood. It was really important because Siegfeld was like the thing in show business back then. And Billy Burke's attraction was a combination of her beauty, her girlish charm, her acting capabilities and her great sense of fashion. She loved wearing fashionable gowns and furs and jewelry and she became one of the most impactful fashion trendsetters in the 1910s and 1920s. And this obviously led her to Lucille Lady Duff Gordon, one of the most influential couturiers of the time, which I had covered in an earlier episode. So most of Billy Burke's wardrobe, both on and off screen, was designed by the British designer. Burke retired from acting in the movies to raise her daughter, but returned to the stage in several plays between 1919 and 1928. 
When the stock market crash took all their money away, Burke took up acting on screen again in 1932 because it paid good money. And the movie she started was a bill of divorcement. And she played Catherine Hepburn's mother. Hepburn, on the other hand, had a movie debut with this movie. Tragically, though, during the filming, Florence Sigfeld Jr. died. And William Randolph Hearst took control of the Sigfeld Theatre that he had helped finance. In the following years, Burke got typecast as a rather ditzy upper-class lady with a very high voice. And this started with her role as Millicent Jordan in Jean Harlow's Dinner at Eight. Her other notable roles were Clara Topper and Topper, Clinda the Good Witch of the North in The Wizard of Oz, and a film series Father of the Pride, which starred Spencer Tracy and Elizabeth Taylor. Apart from that, Billy Burke wrote two autobiographies, started a radio show on CBS Radio on Saturday morning from 1943 until 1946, as well as talk show At Home with Billy Burke from 1951 until 1952, which made Billy Burke one of the first female talk show hosts ever. Burke briefly returned to the stage but had to resign in the late 1950s due to her failing memory. Her final screen appearance was 1960 in a John Ford Western when she was 76 years old. Of course, Burke has been awarded with a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame and even a crater near the North Pole of the planet Mercury, which is named after her. So what is the legacy of all these people and, you know, the Sigfeld Follies in general? So the Sigfeld legacy is quite apparent. The glamour, the dancing, the extravaganza, the beautiful dances, the synchronous performances, they all inspired the beginnings of film in New York and they fed into the concept of glamour that Eleanor Clint brought to Hollywood as well. So the Sigfeld girls were the women people wanted to see and exactly that's because most of them were predominantly cast for the new medium of movies. Also, the synchronization, the beauty of the arrangements, the choreography, the costumes, they all got incorporated in later old Hollywood musicals and movies, as well as in the biopics of Siegfeld himself. And the one person who was largely mirroring the methods of Siegfeld for the movies was Busby Berkeley. And if you have seen an early Hollywood dance musical, you will be sure you have seen Busby Berkeley because if on screen you had hundreds of girls like forming stars and being very synchronously, that was Busby Berkeley because he was very much influenced by Siegfeld. And he was one of the biggest men in show business. But Siegfeld was careless and naive when it came to money. He did not think things through. He wrote with the wave of success and he built upon it, but he didn't plan for the future very much. And so he fell very deep when the depression hit. So he lost all his money or most of his money, which is a sad story when you see that he was credited by his peers to have been the biggest showman ever. So Many old Hollywood stars have to credit their success to the Siegfeld follies, to the rigorous routines, to the clamor they became synonymous with. So Marion Davis, for example, would have never met William Randolph Hearst if it hadn't been for the Siegfeld follies in New York. And I guess she was pretty grateful for that. But, you know, as always, there are some things that I think are lessons to learn from old Hollywood. One of the first lessons, I think, is infuse your work with things from outside, other industries, other countries, other cultures. 
Siegfeld Jr. traveled to Europe, got influenced by Anna Held and took basically the Folie Berger back to New York, but infused it with a bit more, you know, American flair. So this is how the Siegfeld Follies were born. So other cultures really do inspire us and taking something from another culture is not always appropriation, but it can influence your work on a very positive level. So if you put something from the industry, another brand, other cultures, other countries, and you combine that, what you get with your story, your creativity, your specific angle, it might become absolutely fantastic. Don't ever forget that. So be open, soak in everything that you see around you and just make it yours. Another thing that I find you can take out of that, you do not need a straight CV. You don't need to tick all the boxes. Go with your guts, go with what you're good at, go with your joy. You should never forget about the money, but still, you don't have to tick boxes that somebody else told you they would be important because that is not how a very good life is lived and this is not how success is built. Third one is beauty, harmony, laughter and a very good time. That is actually what Siegfeld sold in the end and that will always be valued because people like it. We like light entertainment. We like to have a good time and we love it beautiful and harmoniously. This is what people will always crave. And the last lesson, think about money, think about the future and never trust luck alone because luck is only opportunity meeting preparation. So do your due diligence when it comes to your finances and you will be fine. So yeah, that were the Siegfeld Follies, Florence Siegfeld Jr., Anna Held and Billy Burke all wrapped into a nice little package because I think they all belong together and they should be talked about together. So I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something about the Sigfeld Follies. And I hope I can talk to you again next week. I can't wait and I'm wishing you a wonderful day. Bye. <music>